Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello, and welcome to the Awards Tour podcast. I'm Jacqueline Coley. The best way to describe our next guest, actor Sterling K. Brown's presence on and off screen is delightfully infectious. Whether he's playing his Emmy award-winning turn as Randall Pearson on This Is Us or lighting up the comedic stages of SNL or Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Sterling K. Brown, since he burst onto the scene in 2016 playing Chris Darden in American Crime Story, has already made a mark not just on Hollywood, but on Black representation. His latest finds him cast as the lovable, delightful, beautiful disaster younger brother in Cord Jefferson's award-winning feature, American Fiction, a film that echoes Alexander Payne's award winner Sideways meets Robert Townsend's landmark Hollywood shuffle. American Fiction takes a searing look into how limiting the views of Black representation are both on screen and in the pages of fiction. A debut effort from writer-director Cord Jefferson, Sterling K. Brown's character Clifford Cliff Ellison supports our lead, Thelonious Monk Ellison, as he enjoys the most lucrative and best-reviewed time in his career for a cynical effort he hoped to be laughed out of town. What is this? Deadbeat dads, rappers, crack, and splack, right? Nobody's gonna publish this. Just wanna rub their noses in it. We love it. What? It is very, uh... Black? Yes, that's it. I'm happy you said it and not me. <laughs> Cliff's character is a perfect balance of in-your-face hilarity and self-destruction mixed with soulful regret. Cliff, a gay man in his mid to late 40s whose life is blown up when his closeted extracurricular activities are discovered by his wife. We meet him at a place where he literally has no more Fs to give, but in doing so is living his most authentic self thus becoming a rub to those who have seen him thrive in the false, carefully curated version they have known to this point. Never the favored son, he still manages to steal every scene, giving a perfect on-screen representation of what it feels like to be cast in the shadow of the family's golden boy. What's more remarkable in Sterling K. Brown's performance is it's just another aspect of lesser-seen Black representation getting further examination on screen. If by chance Oscar voters will be so moved as we have to say that Sterling K. Brown's performance in American fiction is not just singular, but award-worthy, it would be just another example of the different ways that we have allowed the Black experience to be canonized on screen. Please listen as we chat with Sterling K. Brown about American fiction, his lean into more comedic works, and whether or not a certain superhero is in his future.
VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Welcome, everyone, to the Awards Tour podcast. I'm Jacqueline Coley. We're here for our interview portion with an Emmy, SAG, and Golden Globe winner. He is, of course, Mr. Sterling K. Brown. Many of you know him from his incredible performance as Randall Pearson on This Is Us. We're here to talk to him today about American fiction, where he plays a character I think I've been waiting my entire career to see you play. Really? It was so incredibly perfect. But I do want to start here because... This f- movie has already won the audience prize at the Toronto Film Festival. Yeah. But more than that, I do think it sort of caps off this interesting sort of like five-year period with you, where I think after all that crying they made you do on This Is Us, you made a conscious effort to just have some fun between like, you know, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I mean, even something like uh, Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul, yeah. uh, Artemis, like Hotel Artemis, all these things I feel like you were just like, I have to do something different yeah. with my time outside of the show. Was that true? I think so. I mean, you can only make people cry so much before you start to wonder, like, am I doing a good thing? Do I need to bring bring balance to the force? Because I know I know I'm humorous. Mm. Uh, that I have a sense of humor, and I like to share that with people as much as I love to share my sense of pathos with people. Right? Um, and I think even if you pay attention to Randall, he's pretty funny too. Sometimes his funny comes out of a place of pain or a desire to be wanted or needed and like make himself bigger so that he doesn't feel as if someone couldn't discard him, right? Um, But like sometimes it's just good to make people laugh. It's good to allow people to release. And that release can happen through tears. It can happen through laughter. Sure, many other ways, but those are the two that I know we tend to elicit in terms of this art form. And I love when folks come up to me and they say like, dude, that was really funny. I think the thing that folks really saw where you really leaned into that comedy that I, I loved was SNL and Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Like those two moments yeah. seem so singular in their efforts. But when I was getting ready to do this interview, that was the thing that a lot of people talked about. If they didn't mention This Is Us. Thank you very much. Yeah, I can't. SNL was a blast. Yeah. And I, it's a word too, because I think the secret of anybody that, that does it, they make you so tired that by the time you're at Saturday night, you're like, okay, let's just go. Let's just make it happen. Like literally you stay in lines and you finish, a woman grabs your arm, pulls you off stage and people just start undressing you and putting clothes. You're like, all right, go. And you're like, okay, where are the cue cards? And 
But that sort of energy, because yeah. being on, it's like being on stage or whatnot, you get sort of caught up in the energy, in the audience, et cetera. And knowing, like, you can just feel the spirits of everybody else that has been on that stage yeah. throughout history. It's like, God dang, I get to be up here where Eddie was. You know what I'm saying? Not Big too long Will. after that again, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was, it was awesome. And I appreciate you saying that I was funny. Thank you. No, I mean, it was really, it was a great moment because like when I looked at American Fiction, the reason why I said it was a, a role that I was hoping that you would play because this character, and again, and granted, I will say this, it's it's part of a, a larger story. And he, yeah. but when he shows up, he just steals every scene. And it's partially because, yes, he's funny. Yeah. But also there is a pain and a soulfulness that is that is masked in it. And it's like, it was the perfect balance of the two. Whereas I felt Randall's more serious with some funny, yeah. or some other ones are really funny and not as serious. This was that perfect sort of like 50-50 split. Thank you, JC. I appreciate it. So that. talk about this character. And was that on the page that way for him to be that duality? I think so. At least that's what I saw when I read it, right? Um, I saw someone who was middle-aged, who was in the closet, who just blew up his life after 20 years of marriage, being caught in bed with another man, and was in the midst of finding what authentic expression felt like on him, mm. right? And I think to a large extent that means being messy until you know how to be neat in a new way. Mm. Um, because being neat and inauthentic didn't work, right? Trying to conform to other people's perceptions of who he should be didn't work. And so now he's a bit of a hot mess. <laughs> and I, I'm going to go ahead and say, ladies, key emphasis on the word hot. <laughs> Check the trailer. Check the trailer. Check I, the trailer. I appreciate that. <laughs> but, a, but a bit of a hot mess in search of what it looks like to be neat, but authentically so. You know? Like... <laughs> From what I understand about human nature, and this is me right now at 47 years old, real happiness isn't a possibility unless you're really, really willing to be yourself, whether other people accept you or not. Mm. And I think in youth, the desire to be accepted sometimes supersedes the desire to be authentic. To fit in, we are willing to twist ourselves in multitudes of knots and even though we know we're triangles, we're trying to fit into the square peg, right? And you will do whatever it can to, to fit in there. And then at a certain point, you're like, oh, shit, this just doesn't fit, yeah. right? And you have to be willing to endure the contempt or the unacceptance of other people to just be like, well, I don't, the number of that are given just dwindle to the fact that like, you know, Life experience has taught you that being any other way doesn't work, right? And I think we're in the midst of seeing Cliff sort of figure out what that new equilibrium is for himself. Yeah, and he does it with such, again, such a such a pain, but also such a humor. Thank like, uh, he literally makes me cry the first tears of the movie and the biggest laughs in the movie. It's absolutely right there. The thing that's also there, and I, I would have to imagine it was a huge part of why you signed on, and also something you probably want to discuss with Cord hmm. before signing on, is it definitely 
speaks to almost a meta existence within our industry and something that you've had to fight for just as any black actor. I think James Baldwin said to exist as a conscious black man is to be a constant state of anger because of just and Hollywood does that as well. Was there something about you that wanted to explore that sort of idea of like, let me laugh at this thing that obviously I am sure you've had to deal with at every chapter of your career? Yeah, I listen, it is what I lo- enjoy about the script is that he's talking about the limiting perceptions that cinema has had of us historically and how that those limiting perceptions can lead to uh, how people see us in life. Right. To the point where if they see someone who's not like that in life that they've seen on cinema, they all say, oh, you're not real black. You're, you're like, you're different than the others. Like, you're really smart. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Ugh. you know, you don't talk like, you know what I'm yeah, saying? You know, yeah. And they say like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you're, you're like one of us. And I'm like, no, I'm still one of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and being one of them just looks like more than what you've seen. Yeah. Right? And the other part of that is too, sometimes we have to take our own sort of accountability in terms of how we voted with our dollar in terms of the types of stories that get seen, right? We will say as a community that we want like a wider breadth of expression, right? And I remember being younger, things like uh, an Eve's Bayou, which I thought was absolutely beautiful. Mm, yeah, Casey Lemons. Yeah. Casey Lemons, shout out, but did not necessarily get like the box office love that I think that it deserved. And then the next DMX flicks, shout out to DMX, who has one of the funniest scenes I've ever seen in top five. Oh, yes. You know Chris, what I'm talking Chris about? Chris Rock's top five, where he goes around and asks all the actors their top five rappers. Yes, but yeah. did you know DMX's yes. scene when he has to <laughs> that sh- right there? Yes. You got a minute? Yeah. Check this out. Smile, though your heart is aching. Smile even though it's breaking. When there are clouds in the sky, you'll get by. Smile through the pain and sorrow. What? But I'm saying, like, the earlier on, like, those movies would do huge or whatnot. And I'm like, but people would say, we want to see this too. We like that, but we want to see this too. And anytime this too came out, people didn't necessarily vote with their dollar in a way that I think that they could have. I'm hoping in 2023, 2024, people are of a new mind and being like, you know what? If it's something that I want to see, I have the power to have some sort of influence on it by by going to see it. Because if it don't make dollars, it don't make sense. Like it has to cross over into a mainstream sort of thing in order for these studios to be like, you know what? makes money. Like, it's not just great storytelling, and it's not just for that community. It's great storytelling for the world. And it's just good business. Yeah. It's good business. Um, yeah. I think one of the things that this one has already done, because it has won countless audience awards, I think we've got at least three counting, starting with TIFF, which is a pretty good marker of best picture. So I'm sure you've heard that before. I've heard that. But I think you can already sort of say that with it, because the thing I loved about it is suburban black kids. Yes. Yeah get their day in this movie in a way. And I feel like your St. Louis roots, chords, sort of Boston roots, that's a synergy too. Because look, there are some people whose adolescence looked more like the Cosbys mm-hmm. in comparison to Good Times. And yeah. they haven't really had that representation since the Cosbys. Right. 
Right. Listen, you can say blackish kind of gets, gets to, there. It gets to, there, to, yeah. You know, the but that's black, like the the highest level of rich most suburban they're, black. They're yeah. pretty high. Like I, I would say, the black Pearsons have like a little bit more yeah. of a sort of middle road there. Um, but it is like I, I I get tired. You were talking about how racist it is when people say you're not real black or whatnot, and things that I would hear towards the beginning of my career in terms of like he's got to kind of lose that intelligent thing or what have you, as if as if to be that meant that I wasn't being black, mm-hmm. right? I think we are learning to see ourselves in a wider breath, like not just them seeing us, but us seeing us, right? And being able to define blackness in a way that is much more generous. Mm. And I said this before, I think, I think who is it? Who's the comedian from Insecure? Amanda Seeley. Amanda Seeley was like the only way of being not black is being anti-black, Yeah. right? And I was like, ah, that works for me. <laughs> That works. For that me. works. For me. If you're trying to tear down your community, you, I don't need you in the community. Like, other than that, <laughs> we can draft another. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, other than that, if you want to go fly fishing or you know Jeopardy or whatever it is, like, come on, bring it, bring it. I, I really do love this about Cord too. Is he? He's a television person. For folks that don't know, he worked on Succession. He worked on The Leftovers. He worked with you know a ton of really. Uh, he worked on um, Watchmen. Watchmen. Yeah, won won Emmys. He also assembled an incredible group of I think stellar television actresses yeah. to support in this. From Leslie Uggams, people don't know she was the very first Black woman to have a variety special. This is not correct. You're the very first Black man since uh, however long to win for the for best comedy. Right. Like I think it was like 70s or 33 years, something crazy like that. Since yeah. the last Black guy won for that, I think that had to like weigh in on the set because this ensemble, Erica, also Alexander from Living Single. It was just such a powerhouse, and of course Tracy. We can't yeah. we can't even like diss on that. No, it, it it had to. Did you feel it when you guys were filming this one? Because I felt it watching it. Yeah, I think I felt it. I think it's something I've also hungered for. Like, oftentimes these great ensembles don't get a chance to get together because somebody's ego says like, "Oh, I'm not going to be second billing to whomever or whatnot." Like. I think I almost had a chance. I was almost in the, the heart of they fall, but then COVID happened. Oh, yeah. I didn't get a chance to be a part of it. But I love seeing like a group of us play together, right? Because a lot of my career has been being the black guy. Yeah. Oh, who's the black guy in that? Oh, the Sterling? Who the black guy in that? Oh, yeah, Jeffrey. Like, it's, it's, it's nice when like the black guys and the black girls all get a chance to get together and play in the sandbox together. Yeah. I enjoy it. And it's rare, man. It really is rare. So it's great to have one that has been this successful so far, just yeah. with like both the critical acclaim. Soon folks are going to get a chance to see it in theaters. All right, now, real talk. We've been talking for a few years. I've been covering you for a while. Talk and I've me. never felt as jealous as I did watching you and Sean. Like, I literally felt like I was watching an ex with his new girlfriend. Like, it was, it was, it hurt a little bit. Cause I was like, they got chemistry too? Okay. Well, like, but I've now learned that. That may be bigger than an Oscar for you. Like that literally is like literally something that you have dreamed about. I'm I'm just now beginning to realize yeah. that like it may be like your wife, kids, and and hot ones. Hot ones. <laughs> so so I'm gonna tell you about. Uh, friends of mine have been watching it for a while, and they're like, "Bro, you got to go do hot ones." I was like, "What's the big deal, right?" So then you go down the rabbit hole and you watch them, and you want you wonder like, "What's it gonna be like when I eat the wings? Like, how's it gonna feel? Like, I'm I'm a man." <laughs> I can do this stuff, right? But then you start eating them wings. 
And that shit hit different. It hits real different. And you feel drunk. And you find yourself saying stuff that you never say. <laughs> but it's like it's like that you just took down a fifth of whiskey or something. You're like, I'm just off of hotness. Off some hot. Like he was in. And I remember it was wing seven. You're like, I feel drunk. Yeah. It was but like it they Listen, it's not just Sean, too. I yeah. just want to say that. No. He got crew. Yes. People are doing background and whatnot, and I appreciate that they ask things that don't always get asked. But, man, it is such a surreal feeling to be doing. It's like patting your head and rubbing your belly at once, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can't be jealous. No, I'm a little... Because it's a slightly different thing. It's a very different thing. Okay. I can be jealous of it also, too, <laughs> because, like, look, I love how too. Like I watched it when it was just rappers. Like yeah. I remember, like uh, like like early days. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that one. So I'm a, a huge fan of it. Any asking questions? I'm a fan of anybody that asks good questions. Right. Like at least uh, respect the art form, and he definitely does. For sure. Uh, I'm gonna like throw this one out there too because okay. I feel like you're at a really great time where you're just doing what you want. Yeah. Um, but you're also like still like working and 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 open to everything that there is to be done. And I remember, man, and it's been a while huh. since you talked about this, but there's a new person over at DC. And Are you talking about John Stewart? I mean, I'm just saying, like, they just cast Philly and is like, you know what I mean? Like, I just, I see things. Wait, who, he got cast as who? He got cast as Hal, but like he the did. older Hal that's like retired. And it looks like they're kind of doing that where they're going to layer it a bit. Really? Look at <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I, I I watched that Justice League cartoon religiously in like high school, uh, college, right after, et cetera. It was dope. Seeing Jon Stewart, knowing that there was a Black Lantern was something like in terms of representation wise, it was like, oh man, there's a space for me in this world and I see it, right? And when I would look at him, I'm like, kind of look like this cartoon. saying? <laughs> <laughs> I listen. If it if it could happen, that would be legitimately exciting. Like that would be one of those giddy inducing moments in life, because my kids would sort of get it. Like without me having to explain it to them. Mm-hmm. Like most of the stuff I do, I have to explain. Yeah, Daddy's doing the movie. It's, it's a big deal. Yeah. They're like, okay, it's not a big deal to me. Like my kids, are like, yeah, this is us. Great, woohoo. <laughs> like, it doesn't care, but like. That would be, I was like, look, I got, I'm in Invincible right now. Yes. I can't even really tell, because like Invincible, this is. I was like, you can't show that to you, because I was 12 just. 12 and 8. I was just about to ask you about Invincible, because. The 12-year-old, maybe. One time I was watching The Boys, and he goes, what are you watching, Dad? I said, I'm watching a TV show called The Boys. And he's like, can I watch? I was like, you can give it a shot. And this black dude got his arm just like hit. And the car was he's like, yo, what are you doing? Like, what are you? I was like, all right, clearly you're not ready for the boys. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta come back a little bit later. Um, but John Stewart, that's that's maybe I have to talk to somebody you because gotta, you gotta give James a call. Uh, it's funny that you mentioned Invincible too, because you can't really talk about that one. They're right in the middle of your season, and your yeah. character is we don't know. Like, literally, like, you're going to have to keep this one a secret for you. But can you preview anything that you can tell us about your character? Because right now, from what folks have seen, they've only seen, like, four episodes. And Correct. it's, like, right in the middle of a cliffhanger. There's a lot. Angstrom Levy. Uh, he's got a big head. 
I had to learn how to do that. Internalize, internalize. His head winds up outside of his body. It's funky. I tell you what's fun about doing these, these voiceover things in cartoon is because they'll show you like the animation or show you like ideas of what the animation is going to look like. And so they sort of come close to who you are as a person. Like my man's always got his goatee or whatnot. Yeah. I'm like, that's cool. And then when I showed his brain outside his head, you're like, ow, I can't do that in real life. So it's, it's like there's a voice that you start to explore that's slightly different than your own because there's a physical manifestation that you're not capable of in life that you can now be capable of in animation, and it's exciting, right? It's also, I'm always talking about being a bad guy. Like, I like the idea of being a bad guy, and he's a bad guy who's not always bad, kind of killmonger-esque yeah. in that way. And so there's complexity to him, and you can't just outright vilify him, because every once in a while he'll land with a point, and you'll be like, oh, like Thanos was like, this world is too big. And sometimes I go, Thanos might be right. <laughs> you're, stuck, you're stuck on the 405 on the wrong day. You, you know think what I'm Thanos saying? is right. Talk to me, Jason. <laughs> real. I'm so glad. It's like you're reading my mind because I, I felt very bad with you on the initial Black Panther run. Yeah. Because you were in it and couldn't say nothing, even after it came out. This like, that had to be one of the weirdest situations. You're in one of the biggest movies on the planet. Yeah. But in the effort to not spoil it, right. you really don't get to have a moment with what ends up being a such a pivotal character in later chapters of this entire movie. Yeah, and Jobu, you know, he was, he was an important part of the plot, but they wanted to keep it a secret. I think being on This Is Us for the many years, I was like, I, oh, I know how to keep a secret. Because Fogelman is real serious with yeah, his yeah. secrets, too. And you don't want to get on the wrong side of the MCU. I mean, the DC, MCU. You go show up to work. Yeah. They give you your sides for the day. And then they take that back. If you forget to give it to them, there's a young a uh, blonde girl of 26 years age. She's like, that's okay. I'll wait outside here until you get it. And you're like, you're going to sit there like children at the corner until I give you these pages. She's like, it's fine. Her, <laughs> that you, is her. Because that's on her. She can't walk back you know there with saying? nothing in her hand. And yeah. then you go and you look in your, your room and you're like, oh, I found her. And she's like, thank you so much. I'll see you later. She's like, gone. <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of just keeping things under wraps, you understand how important it is, and you don't want to be the one that lets the cat out of the bag. Fair. Right? Like, that's the bottom line. I was like, somebody may find out, you ain't finding out from your boy. Yeah. Yeah. I did love to see in the sequel, they put Killmonger in the same place that you were in when he visited you. Just yeah. that moment. And I was like, this is like echoes of Joe like still. It's good stuff. It's really great stuff. All right, last question, because I do have to say this, because I really love this about your family. You are a working actor family, like yeah. a legitimate one. Both you and your wife are what I consider like television, film, yeah. everywhere in between working actors. How much was the love strengthened or hurt when y'all were sitting at home staring at each other during the strike? <laughs> Like, I don't know if you two have spent that much time. We had a lot of quality time with these two little children that we have, so that gave us a lot of love. Um, but I think both of us are looking forward to getting back to work. We're going to do a podcast ourselves, as a matter of fact. So we found a project that I think, besides just our children, which are a mutual project, we have something to pour into um, that sort of excites us. Nice. So that was born out of it, and hopefully that will be a good thing. 
I love that y'all do that. Thank you so much. Uh, anything else you want to shout out? Podcast. Let us keep an eye out for it. Yeah, it'll come out sometime around Valentine's Day, and it is tentatively titled We Don't Always Agree with Ryan and Sterling. Oh, I love this so much. All right, folks, be on the lookout for that. Sterling, thank you so much. Not to begin the year on a sad note, but we recently asked a few of our interviewees thus far, when was the last time a movie made you cry? Here's what they had to say. Sterling K. Brown. Me and my son were watching Matilda on Netflix. The musical. The musical. And my youngest, it was the first time that he cried in a movie. And it made me cry too. And when it was over, he goes, you know how I am about kindness, Dad. It just gets me every time. Riley Keough. Fingernails. With that, Jessie's a woman. Mm -hmm. Like, she's so good. Oh, shout out to Fingernails. Shout out to Fingernails. Good one. (laughs) Gina Gamel. I think Worst Person in the World was the last movie that made me cry. Worst Person in the World is a a great one. Ludwig Gorenson. All of the Strangers. Oh, that's a great one. Incredible. Cried like three times, I think. I love it. Thank you for listening to the Awards Tour podcast. The Awards Tour podcast is hosted by Jacqueline Coley and is a production of Rotten Tomatoes. Executive producer, Fran Salamita. Legal services provided by Brian Arsham. Graphics by Des Anano. Social media support by Anthony Alessia and Emily Catlett. Producer, Brian Perez. Edited by Brian Perez and written by Jacqueline Coley. <laughs>